It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Monsters of Sox podcast. The Red Sox might have gotten swept by the Rays edition. We are recording Thursday before the game in which the Red Sox try to avoid a four-game sweep to the heretofore undefeated Rays with Rob Ref Snyder batting third. Dan, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I I don't we don't have time to discuss today's game, Brian. Uh, maybe we will later, but we can push that to later. We don't have time to discuss the weather it is and how beautiful this day is, how beautiful spring is unfolding here in New England. We don't have time to discuss the Rays' win streak, Brian, um, because I think, I fear that we have to go right into an emergency bryometer, which I'm still open to changing the name of. <laughs> Do you have any other? Do you have any suggestions for renaming the bryometer? I feel like it is fairly self-explanatory enough that perhaps we should just keep it. I think we should still work on it. Um, you're the pun guy, so I'm put. I'm putting. I'm putting this in your hands. Uh, but you know, we don't have time to discuss the name either because we have to get right into this. Because you need to tell me on a scale of. One to ten routine fly balls to Hanley Ramirez and left. How worried you are and how worried we all should be about the fact that on April 12th, 2023, Bobby Dahlbeck started at shortstop for the Boston Red Sox. Oh, I thought for sure you were going to ask about Chris Sale. I don't love it. I don't love it, but... I do think that this, I still believe that the project that is High and Bloom's Red Sox have built some potential fallowness into the first half of this year. We were just having to scrape the bottom of that uh, very early on without being particularly Bad at baseball, the Red Sox almost won a game with Bobby Dahlbeck yeah. at well, shortstop against the best team in the league, and they've they're running up against a historically hot team. I don't think I know the record for wins to start a season is the record, but it's it's that they're hitting so many more home runs than anybody else that it doesn't matter yeah. when this stretch would have happened; it would be impressive. It just happens to be at the beginning of the season. 
and we're just going up against the buzzsaw. Nick Cavetta pitched really well. I'm actually <laughs> probably more worried about Chris Sale than I am about Bobby Dahlbeck at shortstop because at least Bobby yeah. Dahlbeck at shortstop is funny. It is funny. It is funny. And and before, well, it is funny. And, you know, I, I'm tempted, most of the game, I was tempted to say and think, you know, well, Bobby Dahlbeck's not the reason they lost this game. For all the reasons you just pointed out, Chris Sale was awful yet again. The Rays were just, uh, uh, looked like a juggernaut offensively yet again. But the Red Sox did end up losing the game by quite a small little margin there. <laughs> Bobby Dahlbeck did commit a first inning error that led to a run. Um, and before uh, before we even get into the larger High and Bloom project that you discussed, forget about the larger picture. Zoom into Alex Cora's decision. What's the possible explanation and justification for that decision last night? As far as I can tell, it's Christian Arroyo needed a day off. Which, okay, on the one hand, sure, days off are really important. And, you know, I understand the, in the way that a lot of teams do this these days, they schedule them out in advance. They really are loath to mess with that once they set that schedule. And I get that, although I would think that any player would sort of understand that when they're getting a day off, they're kind of getting a day off on the contingency that the normal lineup stays healthy, which it didn't last night with Yoshida having a little hamstring tightness. So on the, on the one hand, I don't understand why you don't change plans for Christian Arroyo's day off. But then, you know what? Like, even if they were dead set on giving him the day off because he went out on the town in Tampa and got hung over the night before or something, you could still do Ref Snyder and Tapia in the outfield <laughs> and Hernandez and Chang in the infield because it's not like – they were facing a right-handed pitcher. Bobby Dahlbeck can't hit right-handed pitchers. So it's not even like, well, let's get Dahlbeck's bat in the lineup instead of Ref Snyder, who also can't hit righties. Bobby Dahlbeck can't you he's he can't hit righties in the first place. He wasn't being he wasn't having a particularly great start to the season in Worcester. So you don't want to get Bobby Dahlbeck's bat in the lineup. So just I can't you almost every baseball decision I disagree with. I usually can see the other side of it and see the justification for it. I can't figure this one out. And I don't even want to say something like this because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's ultimately irresponsible speculation. And, and we've certainly seen, we've got no indications that anything like what I'm about to say is happening. But if I were say like a Giants fan or something, right. And I didn't follow the Red Sox that closely. But I heard that last night Alex Cora insisted on starting a bad defensive first baseman at shortstop when he could have pretty easily shuffled the defensive alignment to avoid that and chose not to. If I'm a Giants fan I'm and I don't know much about the Red Sox internal politics, my first question is, is he trying to send a message about the construction of this team or something? Because I can't figure it out. I have no. I, I. I. I can't explain this decision at all. Well, I know that 
Cora is very, and I heard this somewhere in the lead up to the season, and I can't remember where, but how especially early in the season, I think it was the Red Sox specifically, it might be baseball teams in general, but you couldn't really say it about baseball teams in general, that he's very by the schedule early in the season when it comes to days off. Only answers part of your question. Of only answers a couple of your questions. So that part is is in character for him, so it doesn't surprise me. Look, people have been online, have been clamoring for Dahlbeck at shortstop, and I don't mean that... No, 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 no. Was, people have been ironically clamoring for Dahlbeck at shortstop. That, I understand that, but that didn't come out of nowhere. And... You you think you think Cora was ironically? No. <laughs> you think he did? No, I don't think he funny. was ironically doing it. I just think he was looking at the schedule and within the framework within which he has decided to operate, and on just the tiniest chance that he looked half decent, they're like. Well, shit, it can't hurt to try it. We're going to lose this game anyway, which they almost didn't. And they did in part because of Dahlbeck at shortstop. But I don't get truly bent out of shape over single game, weird lineup decisions, especially on the... However many, they didn't play Friday, obviously, because genius. But that was still their fifth out of what's going to be 10, day, 10 games in 10 days when it's all said and done. So I think that might have something to do with it. I don't, be, I don't blame anyone for getting upset about it. But at the, same, at the same time, I've been very good. I've watched every game this year until most of that one. So I didn't have to suffer uh, it in real time. At the same time, I do stand by that. I, I tend to let these one game things, especially when they happen in fairly uh, quickly, they happen fairly quickly. I tend to let them slide. You, you're the other guy. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no, I, I, I agree with the broad strokes of that statement. I agree with you in principle, but we're reaching a point now where this is becoming a pattern that, that, that the Red Sox all last season frequently found themselves in, in a spot where they were playing players all over the field out of position because they didn't have the appropriate depth on the roster to deal with, you know, pretty expected standard injuries. We had Dahlbeck at shortstop for two games last year. We had Frankie Cordero at first. We had Christian Royal in the outfield. Uh, we had Christian Vasquez playing second base every now and again. Um, like this is becoming a thing now with with this iteration of the Red Sox that they go through phases where you know it's not necessarily just one. Dahlbeck's by the way, the lineups are up for today. Dahlbeck. You're starting third baseman today. Well, so that's, his natural, that's his natural position. 
it's the position he came up as, as a minor leaguer and had to move to first because he couldn't back it. And then was a bad first baseman in the minor league in the majors. Um, so again, they're giving Devers the day off because for, as you pointed out, they're in a stretch of like, I think there it's at least 10 straight games without a day off. It might even be like 19 or something like that. Um, and they're playing four games in a row on turf. So they want to get Devers off the turf. Um, but that's the exact type of scenario where in the off season, we figured, well, Justin Turner, you know, Justin Turner, we liked that pickup because we thought that he would be able to hit as well as JD Martinez has still early, no, no time to draw conclusions yet, but boy, is he not doing that, but we liked it because we thought he'd be able to match JD Martinez offensively, but give you defensive flexibility and the ability to play first and third at times, but they're not replacing Devers with Turner Turner's DHing. Um, and it's all back again on the left side of the infield. I think that I'm actually going to disagree and say that this is probably ultimately good managing given the large number of games coming up. And I am going to go out on a limb and that say that Cora has thought a lot more about optimizing the lineup over X number of games than we have. At the same time, this is what happens when Hyam Bloom basically collects a positionless roster on cheap. And I think Cora is using the pieces as Bloom would like him to use them, which I agree with you is not his job. His job is to best field the best team, but it's to field the best team over a long period of time and a short period of time. And I don't think it's Alex Cora's fault that Dahlbeck has been presented to him as a positionless baseball player. And they've used him as such, but he's not. He's not really. He's positionless in the sense that he doesn't really deserve a position on a major league roster right now. Precisely. Precisely. So I, it's, he, Alex Cora can only use the ingredients that he is given. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the root of the problem here and not a, uh, a, and like, and it turned out to be a slapstick uh, placing of Bobby Dahlbeck at short. But even look, it was a three run error that ultimately, right? Well, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, he Chris Sill ended up giving up a three-run home run. Um, right. See, again, again, <laughs> I'm I'm, so here worried about I'm here in a different problem here because yeah, yeah. Okay, they fair give up nine runs in the game, not three yeah. and not six. They give up nine. Well, here's uh, here's my second thing on the bryometer to to go with with your worry here. <laughs> How worried are you about the following numbers? Here, here are the Red Sox uh, starters and their 2023 fielding independent pitching stats. You ready for this, Brian? No. <laughs> Corey Kluber. Not. Corey Kluber, who's, who's taking the hill in, the, in a matter of hours here. His FIP on the year is 8.44. Nick Pavetta. 
Nick Pavetta, universally regarded so far as the Red Sox best pitcher in this year. His FIP is 5.10. Tanner Houck, 5.10. Cutter Crawford, no longer in the rotation, 5.75. Garrett Whitlock, obviously incredibly small sample after replacing him in one start, 9.20. And, of course, last night's guy, the guy you're most worried about, Chris Sale, 7.65 FIP. That is it's, a, not what, it's not it's not what you want. Wait, Chris Sale was better than like a couple He's better than Kluber and Whitlock, yeah. I mean Whitlock's number doesn't really count yet, but it's amazing how high Pavetta's is given his game against the race. I know. He's been by far the uh, best pitcher on the team. I am not worried about Whitlock. I watched that game and he gave up a lot of home runs. It was his first game back. I'm gonna give first game back. <laughs> you're fine I'm ultimately not worried about Corey Kluber I think he will be exactly what we expect him to be which is a 55% of his former self and it just it might whipsaw between being like a 10% version and a 90% version Yeah, sales tough I'm still gonna give him some time because the velocity was higher he was at 95 and he really has just not pitched in a long time. And I think yeah. that they are viewing this or hold on. I hope they are. And I think they are. And I sure am again, viewing this as a long term project, because I think ultimately, especially given how shitty everyone has been more Chris Sale <clears throat> innings for better or worse are going to be better for the Red Sox. And this is not what you want. And I keep saying it can't get worse, but we'll see. Maybe it can. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've discussed Bale. Bale, obviously. Well, like, that was the that was the one thing I had on my exciting side of the barometer was how excited are we that Bale was outstanding in his last what's start. His name? What's his name? Brian with a Y. Yeah, I don't care day. if there's an A in there. He's ten of ten on the, or he's a, he's a he's a routine fly ball to Jackie Bradley Jr. level of worried about him. But that's just, yeah. I can't be, I can't be, uh, I'm taking sides on that. Yeah, but this is where we are right now. I mean, look, it's it's early. We're overreacting, and we are not overreacting. <laughs> well. We kind of are in the sense that we're reacting at all. And let me just every year. No, we're human. I, I, we're human in that we're reacting. Yes. At all. Yes. No, you're right. You're right. I, I do not. I don't want to be one of those people who, um, you know, sort of like condemns the idea of baseball fandom. Like, you know, these people on Twitter who get high and mighty when they see other fans get emotional or react in real time to something that's happening on a baseball field. Just say, oh, it's April, blah, 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 blah. I'm not doing that necessarily. But it, I mean, it, it happens without fail every year. We get to June and the entire landscape of the season has already changed so much in those three months. And when you hit, you hit a point in June and you look back, at, at early April, and you remember something like, oh, remember that time Bobby Dalbeck started at shortstop against the Rays? That was wild, wasn't it? 
Um, that is frequently how it happens. Now, if he keeps starting games on the left side of the infield, maybe that'll be different this year. But, I mean, that that almost certainly is how we're going to look back on yesterday's game. Like, oh, yeah, right. That was weird and crazy. Like you were saying, like it's a one point thing. And it it's could be like the, the total fraction of the Brandon Phillips game. And like the total, yeah. <laughs> the total, like that's a late game, late season game where it's an amazing miracle win. And he played like, that was it. Like that, but that was one day of the season. But my, my one thing with baseball fans and I try to be like, the rules are the old rules on dead spin. I'm sorry. The rules on old dead spin, <clears throat> the rule, the one rule was be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think by extension, it was don't be an asshole. So like, I am fine with people getting carried away, but that is passing the time. The older I get, the more I'm like, oh, this exists for us to argue about it, uh, hopefully in good faith. And then you combine it with analytics, which people it's just such a, a lot of people use that as a word to, dismiss a class of thing but it's just understanding that these things take place over a long haul i find it helps me stay calm when things are bad or really good and that's why my my true ire is aimed at self-sabotage which the red sox have done a lot of in terms of the actual product on the field for a while but this year i still have that sense of novelty and a little mm-hmm. bit of, and, and and some hope because I, as I said last week, when you said, "Was I worried that the the Rays haven't lost?" I was all I said, like, "Well, not really," because I don't expect us to be competitors with them, and they're just blowing people away right now, and it's just bad timing for this. Before this, the Red Sox were. Well, above 500. So it's, yeah. every game now changes the landscape so much that it's hard not to get swept up and it's okay to get swept up. But thankfully, by the time people are listening to this, that series is over. And we don't have to see him this month, as much this year. So thanks to more. Not until June. Not until June, it looks like. Exactly. It, That's the other part of it uh, that is really important that that is a long haul thing that you, we will definitely reap the results of as, as the yeah. season goes on. Yeah. A four game series in front obscures that. Yeah. And this is a scary raised team. I mean, that's a dumb thing to say about a team that's 12 and all, <laughs> but it is, and, and has been very good for years now, but I am getting a very different feeling about this raised team than I have it, it, it you know, with all the, the, the recent, success they've had over the past five years because this is the the Rays have achieved their success for the most part for the last five years by just uncovering all sorts of diamonds in the rough by changing the way pitchers you know approach their entire repertoire by doing things that a lot of things that I hated as a spectator, you know, whether it's the opener, whether it's the way they just churn through pitchers like they're not human beings. Um, and it's made them a, 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 a successful team 
but not a great team. And, and it's made them certainly a team that's not fun to watch. This year, they're still doing all of that. But the difference is now they have somehow ended up in a position where they are led by some superstars here. Wander Franco is breaking out. Randy Rosarena is a Rosarena. Shane McClanahan is the defending Cy Young champion. And Tyler Glass now comes back soon. Like, this is all of a sudden not just a team of sort of faceless Omnitrons that you can't figure out how they're all so good at baseball. It's a team of 20 faceless Omnitrons that you can't figure out how they're all so good at baseball. And then, like, six really, really, really elite players at the top. And that's they race haven't that that hasn't been their model, and this is a this is a really scary team right now. Randy and I'm with you. Like I didn't expect them to compete, the Red Sox to compete with them, but oof. as someone Randy who hates the Rays in general, is is reaching dangerous levels of coolness. And I, I oh God, you know, yeah. I can't like I don't I don't want him to beat, but like combined with that catch in the WBC, I was just looking up his defensive metrics; they're not very good. <laughs> Uh, Franco is amazing. Well, you said faceless, but Tyler Glasnow, I don't know if you know this, it's just Killian Murphy playing. Yes, that is true. Yeah. So yeah, well, yeah for years, he was, he was the exception. He was the guy who had, you know, a killer arsenal that you love to watch. And, you know, he, this is like, oh, well, one of the top 10 most talented arms in the league, it looked like at times. He was the exception to that. Of course, he went down. And, you know, he might not recover back to, to full strength now that he's gone down again, but. Now he's not the exception anymore. Now they've got a whole boatload of these guys. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first exception, the one major exception until now, and it didn't mean we liked him, was that Evan Longoria was mm. like, I still think right now, I think Wander and Rosa Reina may end up surpassing it, but he is, Evan Longoria is the signature player in Ray's history. I don't yeah. think that's... It might be Carl Crawford. I'd have to take a look at the stats. It might be Carl Crawford. And we're, we forget how good he was in those first five, six years. Oh, I don't think we forget how good he was because we know how good he wasn't for us. <laughs> yes. But this team, the scary part is, you know, Rosa Reina is 28. He's right in the middle of things. And Wander... <laughs> Wander, Wander Franco said, like 14. I didn't even believe it. And look, it's easy. It's two weeks into the year, right? But yeah. in the offseason, you were like, I was talking about MVP candidates. And you said, you said straight to me. And I'm a big Wander fan. You were like, Wander's an MVP candidate. And obviously right now, it's just like, oh, well, duh, he is. Obviously, if they win 100 games and he goes 25-25 and bats 330, which mm-hmm. obviously – May not happen, but it's well, it's not the fifth percent outcome, it's like the 12th percent outcome, and that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a big difference. Uh, but but it's early, yeah, it is early, it is early. Um, I still, I we never really did traditional predictions, but who who did you think was going to win the AL East to start the season? The Yankees or the Blue Jays? Mm. I was all in on the Jays. 
I really thought I thought the Jays had the best offseason by far. I also really I thought, want if it's not the Red Sox, I really want it to be the Jays. There's also yes. that. Yeah. I really thought the Jays were going to be the best team in the East. And then I I am not a, I'm not a big believer in this Yankee team. Um I have repeated that exact phrase every year since 2001. <laughs> Uh, and it, and I'm usually wrong about that. I'm not a big believer in the Yankee team, though. So I saw, and I and I did think the Rays had the best rotation probably in all of baseball coming into the season, and that's certainly bearing out. So I thought it was going to be Jays, Rays, Yankees. Um, still very much could be that, of course. It's early. Um, but these games count, and the Rays are putting the rest of the division in quite a hole to climb out of here. Well, they're not getting lucky either. No, they're, they're just not. They're just beating the piss out of people, except for Nick Pivetta, apparently. Except for Nick I, Pivetta, I just right? thought the Yankees were going to pile up meaningless wins and then be sad again, <clears> which <throat> is like a kind of coming tradition. Bronze I kind of want them. I kind of want them to do that. I don't want them to come in as like an upstart, lower seed. I I, I hear you. I do enjoy this sort of uh, this era of Yankee frustration. Um, where they're always good and never great. But I also just really, really, really need once in my life for the Yankees to finish in last place. I need that to happen. And I really, we came so close. We came, well, you know, we actually didn't come that close. It looked like we were coming close. Um, I was convinced in, you know, the wake of the, the post-2009 the bad contract era of Tish- when they were, you know, supposedly saddled with the CC Sabathia and Tashera and Arod contracts. Um, you know, I, I I thought that that's when they were. They they never even finished under five hundred. They had some bad years, but they never even finished under five hundred during that stretch. And and you know, here they are back again. And we could talk about that if if you want to. <laughs> no, I just I want to up- point out they have finished last place in our lifetime, but just once. I believe like 1991 or 1990, 1990. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, that, that doesn't count for me. Maybe that counts for you. It doesn't count for me. For Sorry, me. Definitely counts for me. <laughs> um, so I need it to happen. And, and I, so I, I, so like I'm torn. Like I, like I enjoy the sort of frustrating um, mediocre plus teams that they've been putting together for the last five or six years, but I just really want to see them be awful. They remind me of the, uh, <laughs> of the Red Sox for like late nineties Red Sox where you had MVP candidate, Cy Young yeah. candidate won a bunch of games, but for whatever reason, you just, the, the frustration was mounting. You couldn't go up through. Now they don't have like 80 years of history to pile on top of it. Right. But for them, 14 years now. That's a long time. Hilarious. That is a really long time. Yeah, it is hilarious. Considering um, my best friend right here comparison. used to say they should have an LCD uh, or LED light where it says how many championships they had outside the stadium. Mm. Those lights. <laughs> you don't need. You don't need that now. You don't need them anymore. No, whatever they, whatever type of lighting they would have installed in 2009 for that sign would already be like technologically out of date and obsolete. Um, but that is a good comparison though between the late 90s Red Sox, even the early 90s Red Sox, you can put in that category too. Right. Um, yeah. But the, the major, the major difference though between like how those teams were perceived and how these Yankees teams are perceived 
And I was thinking about this with respect to the Ray streak too. The baseball postseason being so expanded really changes the way we look at and remember teams. Um, and the reason why I mentioned it in the context of the Rays is because, of course, if, if the Rays win today, they will start season 13-0 matching the, I think it's the 1987 Brewers, right? Um, and a lot of people are pointing out and have been like, well, 1987 Brewers started 13-0 but didn't make the playoffs. And that is true. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I, I should have double-checked this before I looked it up. They still won, they won like 93 games. <laughs> And they didn't make the playoffs because it was in 1987 when only two teams in the American League did. Um, so if the Rays, you know, follow the path of the 87 Brewers and win 93 games, they're still absolutely a lock for the playoffs and they win the division for all we know. Um, and so it's just, uh, it's interesting. I wonder how much different the 90s era of Red Sox baseball would feel and would have been remembered if there were six goddamn playoff teams in, in the American League back then. I hate the expanded playoffs so much. We've discussed it a lot. I've got to hate it. The East Division in 1987 <clears throat> went Tigers 98-64, Blue Jays 96-66. and 66. Blue Jays also did Ooh. not make the playoffs with 96 wins. Mm. Brewers 91-71, and 71. 91. Yankees 99. 89 and 73. And only then do you get to the twins in the West who won the West with 85 wins. <clears throat> yeah. So the Tigers who had 98 wins played the twins with 85 wins. And who won that series, Dan? I believe the twins did. And who won the world series? I believe was this the Jack Morris? No, this wasn't the Jack Morris series. That was, that was in the nineties. Um, but I'll 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 take your word for it that the Twins won the World Series. The Twins won the World Series. They had five fewer games than anyone else in the playoffs. Yeah, we I agree with like your obviously it's such not a one to one comparison with the playoffs. But we do tend to the nice part about this playoff system is it really. <clears throat> The urge to retcon is not as hard because you know it's fluky, but the 1987 Twins, I wouldn't have been able to tell. I know they won. <coughs> and yet, wait, is the 88 Twins or the 87 Twins who won? It's 1987. They, uh, they were easily the worst team in the playoffs. They were the fifth best team in the American League. They were the, there were four teams in the, so they're like the ninth best team in the league, but they won the World Series. So that's what matters. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yep, four to one. Yeah. Oh, no, four to three. It, it's seven games over the Cardinals. Anyhow, I, I agree kinda, with this you. Is a, this, is a, this is a crazy digression. Um, 
But I kind of wish the statement you just said that they won the World Series and that what that's what matters. I kind of wish that wasn't quite so true. Um, I, mean, I know that this is the way that then. we. Built. I don't. I don't mean yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's what matters now too. It's it is what matters now too. Like this is this is just the way American sports are built. American sports are built so that only one team is happy at the end of the year, and it's almost always not the best team. Um, and I really kind of wish that weren't the case. Uh, I don't. We've talked about that a lot with you in respect to soccer, yeah. and me with respect to F one, and sort of understanding that in these more open sports systems, it's about it's almost like all politics is local. You know, it's in F one. There are three teams that are expected to compete for the title, but then the other ones, like four through six, are all competing really hard with each other. Yeah. And they have their own championships, effectively, in their their heads and hearts that they're going for. If they finish, if a team finishes fourth, they won the season because they were competing against three other teams. We don't do that in any way, shape, or form, except for the rare case like, college it's not a great example because it's single elimination but like san diego state making the finals people are just like well you know that's fine like that's that's great but and maybe maybe to some degree though i'm sure they'll be disappointed if they lose early like i don't know if you know the sacramento kings are in the playoffs and like i think a third seed they're they're they won a lot of games i heard this stat just today on the Bomani Jones show. This is just a digression, but it's crazy. The last time the Kings played on ABC was the first NBA game ABC ever aired in 2002. And that was the last oh time they played on God. ABC. So that was a so I could Williams, see their fans <laughs> at the conclusion of this season being like, yes, oh, okay, they'll be ha- successful. Yes. Oh, they'll, they'll those be happy stories are few sure. and far between. Yes. Yeah. No, that, that, yeah, Kings fans will be happy. Absolutely. And they will view, they will look back on that season very, very fondly as they should. But there's a difference between like looking back on the season fondly because you've been so bad for so long. <laughs> And just looking back on the season fondly because you got to watch a team play at an incredibly high level for six months, even if they didn't end up winning the the fluky postseason tournament at the end of it. I will say that we actually, we are like the only team that actually has this, or at least maybe I'm the only person, but I don't think so. If the Yankees don't win the World Series, that's a win to me. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, real quick though, because just because we are talking about postseason formats, I do think it's interesting. Like I said, I, I've explained why I don't like the expanded postseason many times. The NBA playoffs technically started last night, and it really didn't seem like it at all, did it? In terms of, I mean, I don't know if you were on Twitter at all, um, but there was they actually started two buttons. nights ago. They started two nights two nights ago. ago. There you go. You're right. Two nights ago. There's zero buzz about these playing games at all. Uh, I th- and the I NBA think this is a- are really into them, like really, really. Yes. I somehow managed to yeah, listen well, to an entire yeah. Bill Simmons podcast where they went deep on the Lakers single playoff game, and it's like, mm-hmm. all right, yeah. But it is not; it's not breaking into the wider. 
cultural consciousness at all at this point. And I and unlike this is the wild card my, games, I, I don't know if the wild well, card games I, break into the consciousness. No, no, I think they, I think I think they did before last year. I think the old format they absolutely did break into the consciousness because. You know, for because the the, the the postseason was still more exclusive. Um, the fact that it was a one game playoff was so novel and rare for baseball that that alone got people interested. Um, I didn't feel I did not get the sense last year that the wild card round um, was particularly you know something that the nation was sort of tuned into. And like for me personally, it by the end of the World Series, that wild card round d- didn't even seem like it happened in, in the playoffs to me. Like I could barely remember it. It was so I long. Think that ago. was so largely because the teams so that were quickly. in it. I think that was yeah, largely maybe, because of the teams that were in it. But maybe, but I, I, it's just in the under the old format, you could if 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 you were a fan of the game on a national level. You could sink your teeth into every one of those opening series under the old format. You could really, you could get into the wild, the, you know, the one game playoff, the wild card game playoffs, and then you could watch and follow pretty closely every first round playoff series. I couldn't do that under last year's format because those wild card series were over before they even began. <laughs> you know, in some cases, they were just two games, um, and it just was so. So if you had something to do on that first Saturday, yeah, if you had something to do on the first Saturday, it's like you missed the you missed an entire round of the postseason. That's what it felt. Uh, whatever, it wasn't our problem. No, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the Yankees, as we kind of were like five minutes ago, um, are you worried at all that they have a player who has played seven games, who's hit four home runs? Who's slashing 292, 346, 833 for a 217 WRC plus, good for a 0.5 F war, and his name is Franchi Cordero. The only thing I can say is that if he was on the Red Sox, it probably wouldn't be happening. This is just one of those lightning in a bottle yeah. situations. And it's I have to say, the second the, Re- the Yankees started getting players that like I like and admire and and just cultivating you know, oh, them, isn't it? but 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 no, because they barely have won since they started doing that, and that's amazing. <laughs> it's it's not be. I don't even think like obviously Brett Gardner's fuck him, but like mm-hmm. guys like Curtis Granderson. I had nothing against Curtis Granderson. Jim Carlos Stanton, one of the coolest players. Like, come on. What do, what do you want me to do? Hate a guy who hits 500 feet home run? Same for Aaron Judge. Now, Cole sucks. So that was, mm-hmm. you know. He does suck. He really That was does. helpful. But, like, if Franchi, <laughs> of all people, goes nuts for the Yankees, I'm just like, especially with the Rays. It helps that the Rays are so much better. Because it's like, yeah, great. What happens when Franchi is? Yeah, dude, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I am, I, I am excited for him personally. Um, he and you know he did go on stretches like this at two different points last year. Um, of course, he had that that giant grand slam in May. He had a couple of very hot stretches where it you know it, people were saying, "Has he figured this thing out?" And it didn't last. And I don't think this one will last either. Of course, I mean obviously it's not going. He's not going to be this good. But I don't. I, I, I 
would be shocked if we don't end the season with Franchi Cordero in the exact same situation that he ended the season with the Red Sox last year. But I am happy he's having this success. I do think it's always – I always feel bad for guys like Franchi and for guys like Willie Mopena who are just such physical specimens that they're not really treated fairly by the fans, I think. And, and I wrote about this when Franchi was on one of his hot streaks last year. You know, you just compare like compare how Willie Mopena is remembered to someone like Will Middlebrooks, where it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison. Um, Willie, Willie Mopena was a more hyped up prospect than Will Middlebrooks was, but still, Middlebrooks was a top one hundred guy at one point. Came up early on, had an outstanding rookie of the you know rookie season. Looked like he had the potential to be a really solid player, but had an awful approach at the plate that he was never able to fix and was out of baseball within five or six years. That pretty much describes William O'Pena. William O'Pena is, is remembered as, you know, a giant bust who could never get the most out of his physical gifts. And Will Middlebrooks is now just the guy at the Nesson desk hanging out with Jim in DC. Um, and I think Franchi fits, in, you know, any players who sort of look like them, and I think the color of their skin has something to do with it too, absolutely, they're held to a different standard. They're, and they're, they're viewed as busts if they can't quite, you know, turn their prodigious physical gifts into, into an approach at the plate. And, and I got another it, data point. Like I got another on. data point to even out your two darker skin guys with the white guy who was <clears> – <throat> Nothing against Will Middlebrooks and nothing against the guy I'm going to talk about, but Gabe Kapler. Oh, Gabe yeah. Kapler, was not, it was not held against him that he looked like he should be hitting 40 home runs a year. Mm-hmm. And it has and not he been was held super against him. Yeah, he was super hyped early. He was in like a national shoe commercial when he was a rookie, too. <laughs> right. Right. And that was not what he was. You know, obviously that's not what he was. He was a fourth outfielder. Mm-hmm. But... And on top of that, he was a manager and a very weird one. He seems to have found himself as a manager now in your second stop. That happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, he's been afforded every luxury despite not – despite looking like he should hit like Mike Trout, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not So him. I'm happy for Franchi. I'm happy for him personally. I hate that it's happening on the Yankees. But, you know, we knew it would. We knew it would. Because the Yankees do this to a million guys like this every year anyway. You know, we only have to go back and remember the six weeks that Matt Carpenter was buried freaking Bonds last year. So they, they do this every year no matter what. And it was just well, so obvious that it was going to happen. A lot of teams do it, but not a lot of teams have the New York Post to, like, be their hype man. And I'm no, so not fair enough, fair enough. It's... it's when it happens in New York, I'm not saying it's like innately this way. It's just there's this giant machinery to make it exciting because there's just a the Yankees have more fans than anybody else, right? Yeah. And there's this giant machinery that's ready to step into action. I mean, the Red Sox don't have anything comparable to like the reputation. And I am like the post is a rag, yes, obviously, but they are good at what they do. There they are. And, and like writing, it's basically just writing writing these headlines and back pages. You think, oh, I could write any specific one of those. You got to do it every day. 
they're good. And like, <laughs> I remember when Art Howe got hired uh, when I was a Queens reporter, we were like, this is such an amazing gift to people who write puns because Art and Howe, mm. you can use them both. And the French, <laughs> the French, you could go any different direction you want yeah. and it makes it more exciting. Matt Carpenter's less, Matt Carpenter's more the eye roll inducing one, but he was preposterously hot last year. So it was okay. But I think that it just gets blown out of proportion when it happens in New York and it's in, in a way it, absolutely doesn't for every single thing Shohei Otani does on a baseball field. Yeah. Well, we might and, see what happens with Shohei Otani in New York next year. Oh, man. Come oh, on, but Steve. I mean, I mean specifically for the Yankees because it's just the 1986 Mets are like the exception that proves the rule and yet Mets-Yankees uh like dominance of the city and the 69 too, I guess, but those people are old. So, but what if, what if, what if Shohei Otani toes the rubber on opening day in Queens next year? I, I wouldn't bet against it whatsoever. And he, how, like, how do you, look, as somebody who lives in New York and there are a million variables at play here, so it's an unfair question, but as when he lives in New York, how would you see that changing the dynamic of baseball in that city? I don't think it's an unfair question because I think that all things being equal, it seems like the most likely scenario at this point because Steve Cohen. Oh, but has, I just mean, it, I, I, I just mean it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to predict how, it, 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 how are the Yankees? How are the Mets that year? Like, you know, there are a million other variables that would come into play in terms of how it's changing the dynamic of the city. Um, it will only change it for... under one condition. And like, it won't change the baseball dynamic of the city. It won't. Except when they play each other, this is like, it's kind of like Pedro. It's more. It's obviously way more. And he could do it every game. But what, you know, what they... From the Mets specifically, the only thing the Yankees will understand is getting their ass beat by this guy. And if he does it, it doesn't matter. Sample size, we talk analytic sample size, all of that. But I'm also, we also talked about it's a pastime. People get excited. They want to talk about this shit. If Otani comes to the Mets and then beats the shit out of the Yankees as a Met, that is so much different than him doing it even as a Red Sox, even as an Angel. Mm -hmm. It's different. That is like the one thing that could shove it down their throats. And God, if the, the flip side is that as the Yankees got the better of Pedro, sometimes it's, it, it can change, but right now nobody can beat Otani. So I would no. not be worried about that. And I do think, um, I mean, we shouldn't get ahead. We, we're going to have plenty of time to discuss Joey Otani's free agency in the coming months. Um, but I think it's I think it's possible, Brian, that this is the year the Angels are good. I I think they're going to sneak into a wild card. I think it's possible. I really do. Um, I've just been, you know, it's it obvious. Look, obviously, Atani and Trout have to stay healthy. That's step one, and and it's been hard for the, those two guys to do that. 
at the same time over the past four years. Um, but if the two of them stay healthy, I, I, if, I, first of all, if the two of them stay healthy, then you're automatically looking at like 15 to 20 war between two guys on your roster. That's a really good starting point. Um, but I just like what they've done with the rest of the team this year. It's a, it's a team full of no other superstars, although Rendon is healthy. Once he gets back from the suspension, maybe he puts together something close to his Nats peak. Um, but other than that, it's just like it's a roster of players who do things well. Like they put together a roster of players who do certain things well. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's in, in that sense, it's just going to be it's Otani Trout and a bunch of other guys who will just kind of not take anything off the table from the greatness of those two players. They, if they make it, they are the single greatest argument for the playoff system. They are, sure, they are yeah, like they the sneak single into the second like or third why card, yeah. it exists. It's to get excellent players on mm. subpar teams in front of more eyeballs. Mm. But that has not proven out so far. Yeah. Be, because, but I mean, look, the Angels won it in 2002. Maybe they're inspired by the Kings and they're like, you know what? Let's, let's do our own version of that. We should, we should talk about this, by the way. I don't know if, uh, if anyone's quite realized that realizes that the news about from the Angels side came out, uh, yesterday. Um, but let's take a look at the Angels are coming to town, Brian. Um, as of tonight, if you're listening oh. to this podcast. And I, I I don't know if you read this, but on opening day, I, I, I wrote I, <laughs> I wrote an article about how the Red Sox were going to win the American League East in 2023. It involved uh, a a uh, a meaningful impact turning point game on Patriots Day that featured a matchup of Chris Sale versus Shohei Otani. You want to guess who we're looking at pitching on Monday, Brian? Well, I know Otani's pitching. I'm going to guess Chris Sale's pitching, too. We've got four games between last night when Chris Sale pitched in the Rays and Monday. It hasn't been announced yet. And who knows? Brian Bayo may screw this up. Otani is definitely – no, he wouldn't – are you – why would that screw it up for us? Well, no, 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 no. I'm just saying – I'm just saying right now there are four games in between Chris Sale's last start and, and, and Monday. Right, so that would mean that would mean that Chris Sale is lined up to start on Monday. But if they decide to bring Bayo up and insert him in the rotation and bump everyone back a day, then we, you know, if Chris Sale may end up going the you know, the, the day after the Patriots game. I'm not worried about your prediction. The only thing I care about is Otani. <laughs> That's Otani on, Otani on Patriots Day is perfect. This uh, this is the type of thing that doesn't exists for the Red Sox sort of outside the Yankees relationship that I was talking about with the Mets and the uh, Yankees. I, I'm guessing that a lot more people watch the Patriots Day game than most games, at least most afternoon games. Uh, and by the way, it's not an afternoon game, but you know what I mean? Uh, Otani doing this is, this is a, I'm smelling 12 strikeouts and maybe a home run. Like just, I see this coming from a mile away. And yeah. well, the entire baseball world is going to be watching too. That's so right. cool about it. It will be the only game on. Everyone works from home now, so everyone can watch the game. It's not, you know, it's not and like worldwide the and like Japan. 
you know. Yeah, it, and it, yeah, it's early enough that they can watch it late at night in Japan. That's true. Japan's exactly, are they, they're what, 13, 14 hours ahead? Well, I guess it's not quite early enough. It's still, it'll be like a 1 a.m. game for, for that's fine. Japan, I suppose, I, but. It's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful. My brother's actually running the marathon, which is uh oh, his is first he? time. Yep, his first time wow. I think running any marathon. And uh so he's gonna be so he won't get to watch the game, but I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. actually that's not true. If he's running the Boston Marathon, he's presumably gonna go do something in Boston afterward. I suspect they'll have the game on. Well, he no, well, he won't. He won't make it. He won't finish he that time. No, he'll be running. <laughs> yeah, because they changed it. When when we were kids, the race kicked off at nine. I uh, I don't know when they changed it, but it now kicks off at twelve. You know so that I once. Yeah, do uh, you know I once went to the Patriots Day game? And, oh, I uh, did too. Maybe we went to the I, same one. I, which one did you go to? I went to a game that Jim Layrit hit a key double down the line in left field. So this must have been like 1997 or 8. I'm going to actually Google this right up. You you, you tell I, me your Patriots. Oh, I can tell you. And, and this actually, this, is, this nicely brings back uh, the fact that the Brewers were in the American League into the conversation because in 1990, I went before interleague play, I went to Brewers at Red Sox. Patriots a game. Guess the score of the game, please, Dan. Brewers at Red Sox. Yes. Can you do you want to give me the starting pitchers? Sure. Sure. Uh, let's find it. Da, 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 da. Um. Ba, 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 ba. You can put some. Let me look up. I have. I'm not on the Baseball Reference box score. On it. I'm on a different box score. All right. Now I'm on Baseball Reference. Starting pitchers were. Teddy Higuera for the Brewers and Boddicker for the Red Sox. Ooh, okay. Um, I don't know who Teddy Higuera is, so I'm going to guess it wasn't a one nothing pitching duel. Was it like 11 to 10? No, it was 18 to nothing Brewers. Oh, my God. Well, so Hard Teddy Higuera pitched pretty well, man. <laughs> go, go get him, Teddy. Hard to forget that one. The Red Sox had three wow. hits. Wade Boggs had a hit. Ellis Burks had a hit. And Tony Pena had a hit. And that was all. Wow. That's a pretty brutal game. Apparently, I'm looking it up. If if this is the one that I went to, and I think it was, I, A, I really have not done this game justice in my memory because it actually was Jim Leyritz didn't just have a key hit in late innings. He won it with a walk-off homer in the 11th. It was 1998, 6-5 victory pretty, over the Cleveland Indians. Pretty funny that we went almost at the exact same ages. Yeah. I'm like that much older than you. We went to the exact same age. We have different, the, the exact opposite experience uh, at our Patriots Day games. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only one I've been to. I will not be going this year because, thanks a lot, Massachusetts Public Schools, I will have two kids under the age of six at home with me. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. And me. That's true. That's true. Yep, yep. Fair enough. Um, So I probably won't even get to watch the game, to be honest. But Yeah. uh, Well. We'll see. Anything else? Do we have any, uh, you have a mortal enemy of the week? No, actually, I have the opposite. I have. Oh, really? What is the opposite yes. of a mortal enemy? 
A lifelong friend of the week? Well, no, they're, they're a bunch of casual friends instead of one. And instead of being, I went to the dog park right before I came here. And as I was on a walk, uh, I went to the dog park and there's paths behind the dog park. And I reached into pocket, realized my wallet was not there. Mm. So I walked back to the dog park. I told the people there and they searched every inch of the dog park, which is pretty big. And I went back on the trails, couldn't find it. They took my information. They said they they couldn't find it. They <clears throat> said, hey, man, look, just we'll let you know. We'll find it. it. Someone will find it. I was like, thank you. Thank you. I was, you know, I was crestfallen. And if I hadn't turned out how it did, I would not have done this podcast because I would have been too mad. And so I put my dog in the car and then looked right in front of my car and it was just sitting around on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> but those people were so, and these people are like, there's a bunch of guys who are, let's, let's, I've heard them talk politics and they watched Tucker Carlson's interview with Trump. But I've been around these people a lot now. And you know what they talk about most of the time? It's not politics. It's not sports. What do they talk about at the dog park, Dan? We're not counting. We're not counting dogs as possible. No, no, we, no, no, no. We are counting dogs. Oh, we are okay. counting dogs because it's like ninety percent of what anybody talks about. I would think so. so yes. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was nice to people who have like recognize because I only started going the last couple of weeks. My dog has been scared. She actually tried to play with a pit bull and mounted it, and she's a she, and pit bull is a she, and she does that. And the pit bull did not appreciate it and pinned mm-hmm. Pepper to the ground. And they had a little face tussle and people were like, oh, did your dog get bit? I'm like, no, she looks fine. But the pit bull got bit. Just a little bit. Ooh, Just a little bit. I was like, Pepper, wow, okay. look at you. So, no, it was nice. Uh, and the people that were nice then, too, and it's largely the same people. So no mortal enemy. Just uh, it's, it's some, nice. Just some nice, just nice neighborhood stuff. I am a little surprised at, at, to, at why you think you can't be mad when we record. No, no, no. I can be mad. I can't. Thing? I know. I can't after the. I could not sit here and be like, I lost my wallet. And by the way, it would be again and be like, yeah. what, what am I going to impart to anyone if I can't keep the most important thing to me within my person? I mean, How am I going to tell the, anyone? Sometimes the best teachers are those who fail. Yeah, the University of Chicago is called the teacher of teachers. And in that sense, I have failed so much. So much. It hasn't helped. Okay, you have any recommendations? I do. I'm going to recommend a book. Um, I was deciding between a book and a movie. The movie is definitely one that everyone else but me uh, had seen before this week. So I'm not going to recommend the movie. I, I, I recommend no, you got to of- say what it is. You can't. You you don't have to use it. But you have to say what it is. <laughs> so I, I finally saw Mission Impossible Four: Ghost Protocol the other night, and that was a, that's just a damn good acting movie. That's all it is. That's just a damn good action movie. It really, really works from beginning to they've, end. They've slyly, be, I mean, not slyly, everybody knows it. They're huge mega hits, but they're like <laughs> increasingly since, like the third one, I think is general. The third, second one is divisive. And the third one, people say, I think correctly, it's like, it's just Philip Seymour Hoffman, but that's true of a lot of movies. 
And then from four, they really just ratcheted it up. I still love the first one, but they are now like modern action movies that are long, but with no like fat in them. It's all like, it's it's a great ride. It is a great ride. And I actually do kind of agree with your initial assessment of, of it happening on the sly a little bit. I think because they take so many years off in between movies that, for one thing, it doesn't even really feel like a franchise. Um, and then the first one, I mean, the first one came out in like the 90s, right? Like it's that yes. old? Yeah. yeah, it came out in the 90s when that type of movie was fairly commonplace, I think. And I remember seeing it, and I was like, "Okay, yeah, it's you know, it's a it's a decent adult action movie." Um, and I didn't it didn't stick in my head. It, it and and I think when I heard they were making a second one six or seven years later or whatever it was, I was like, "Whatever, I don't see that." Um, and then, but then I did hear like I, I I kept hearing that like, "Oh, actually, these movies are really really good. They're kind of just getting better and better." Uh, so I did decide to watch it the other night after the kids went to bed, and yeah, it's damn good movie. All right, really but that's it. not it. Give us the book. Yeah, so I'm going to go to the complete author. I'm going to recommend a novel in translation by a forgotten German author named Anna Segers. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it's a book called Transit. And actually, uh, I'm going to get, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm about to get real pretentious up in here. And I'm going to recommend an entire publishing line, effectively. It's one that, if, if anyone spends any time in a bookstore, you probably recognize these books. But the, uh, the New York Review of Books publishing imprint, which, like I said, you've probably seen it. They all, all the books visually look kind of the same. They use, uh, they use the same font. The spine is always like a dark primary color. And the entire business model of this imprint is that they only print books that are in the public domain. But they don't waste their time with like, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Dickens because everyone does that. They, they're not making money. So they only print books that are basically books in translation that haven't made it to America yet or kind of like forgotten classics or works by forgotten works by big writers. So this is a book about World War II. The author, Anna Sayers, was a German Jew, um, but she got out of Germany before the Holocaust started in earnest. Um, She ended up in France and then Mexico. And this book is sort of it's it's a kind of a story of that. It's it's about a it's about a guy who is German, um, but he he's he's not Jewish, but he was initially arrested by the regime early on before again before the war really started in earnest. Um, escapes is arrested in France. Escapes and it's kind of it's a funny book. Um, it's about it's so it's about it's basically about him spending time in Marseille as all of Europe is trying to leave through Marseille. And he kind of, it's funny because he has sort of a detached narrative voice. He doesn't quite fully comprehend the danger that he and the entire continent is in. He's just kind of enjoying hanging out in Marseille, not having a job and not having anything to do um, and just nosing into other people's affairs. Um, and it's a really good book. And, and like I said, like I've never heard of it. And that's the case with most of the books printed by the NYRB line. It's like they're books you haven't heard of, but they are all good. And, you know, you read something in translation by someone you've never heard of, then you can feel superior to other people. So uh, that's my recommendation, Transit by Anna Segers. 
I mean, that is so pretentious. It like burns my remaining hair off, but it also- That's why I started with Ghost Protocol. It is compelling. It is compelling. Well, I made you. I'm also gonna, uh, I'm also gonna recommend an off the beaten path book. I would describe it as less his, hipstery uh, than niche, but it's good. It's called Operation Nemesis. I have it right here. Dan can see the cover. Oh, I can see it. Yep, he's got it, it folks. About, he's not lying. Wait, this also takes place in Germany, largely. And this is a book about, it's, you know, did you see the movie Munich? Uh, I did not. No, I saw. Oh wait, did I see it? No, I did not. I saw. I saw the. Uh, never mind. Go on. I'll, I'll just blabber uh, so, myself as you. Like uh, it, it's, it's not about. Uh, it's about after the genocide of Armenians. It's about Armenians spread across Europe and the United States, and some in present day around or near present day Armenia. Uh, going after the sense deposed from Turkey organizers of the genocide. And it's a lot like Munich in that like they're working, they're very singularly focused on going after these people. And this is not a secret that the, they succeeded, but what they did very intentionally for the main assassination that the plot driver of this book of Talit Pasha who was like the main the main young Turk who took over and then became like a part of like a dictator authoritarian regime um he was subsequently ousted by the guy who would later call himself Ataturk and would become the president of modern day Turkey like the founder of it and he was living in Berlin and what this book is about is about the planned assassination of him that is successful, but the entire plan about it was not to do it like Lee Harvey Oswald did. They wanted him to kill the man in plain sight, get arrested, and go on trial because they want because everyone world war one had just happened and they couldn't get any attention to armenian genocide and they wanted a public trial and this is not a spoiler because they say this at the very beginning of the book the man commits the assassination he goes on trial and the germans find him not guilty so it's kind of like what happened to shinzo abe a little bit but this, but it, but this was specifically that they're like, nope, you had every right to kill this guy. And then there's yeah. another factor about this book that may make it interesting to people. It makes it interesting to me. It may be more interested in reading it. And, and I appreciate it, given that I know the author's wide variety of skills. It's by Eric Bogosian, who is an actor who you may know as the bad guy in Uncut Gems uh, on Succession. He's Gil Evis. Really? The, uh, the Bernie Sanders stand-in. Yes, and he's of Armenian descent. I have a good friend who's uh, Armenian. Is he from Watertown? Uh, no. Oh, is, is Bogosian? I think he... Yeah. I think is so. Is he from Watertown or L.A.? Yeah, I think he pretty much from Massachusetts. He's from Watertown. He grew up in Watertown. Watertown and Woburn, Massachusetts. 
and attended so, the University of Chicago. How about that, Brian? So he um, and I asked my friend, whose father's older Armenian, like, "Have you heard of this book?" He's like, "Oh yeah, my dad has it. I just haven't read it." And it's a very, it's 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 a, it flows really well for it's like it's just like a popular history book, but it's written by an actor and it's about history that a lot of people stepped over. But I love it. Operation Nemesis is really by cool. Eric Bogosian. Yeah. That is really cool. I do like. Um... I like reading about Turkey in general. Um, not, not, not that this would paint the country in a positive light. Um, have, you ever, have you ever been to Turkey? No, my other brother, not the one running the marathon, lives in Europe, and his single favorite place to vacation is Turkey. So, oh yeah, you know, well, I've, he probably, bad. yeah, he probably likes to to, to vacation on the coast. Um, I've never been to the coast. I've been to Istanbul twice. Istanbul is the most amazing city in the world. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, and it, what you said about Ataturk reminded me of uh, um, something I noticed there. Turkey is the only country I've ever been to in the world that flies their flag as much as we fly our flag. It is really everywhere. And that's something that you notice a lot when you travel. If, you, if, you, if you're thinking about it and if you're looking for it, you notice that oh, it's very rare in other countries to see private homes and businesses flying the country's flag the way you see it in the u.s um and my theory was that the u.s and turkey are very unique in that we both have distinct founding dates and distinct founding fathers like you said about ataturk whose name the name ataturk literally means father of the turks so that was my theory about why turkey and the u.s both fly their flag so much I believe I want to just get this right uh, that the I so I believe that the the Republic of Turkey was officially founded the day after the assassination and it was not a coincidence because it's not like the Armenians did this totally on their own they had British mm -hmm. and American intelligence because the British wanted this guy dead too because they just wanted to negotiate with Ataturk they want to deal with the former young Turks anyhow Monsters of Socks went from Bobby Dahlbeck at shortstop to the particulars of the Armenian genocide as told by the bad guys. We cut gems. You can't get that on any other Red Sox podcast. And that's you why can't. Over the Monster is the only fun Red Sox site. You nailed it, dude. You can't. You nailed it. Uh, we don't have any articles up on the, on the Armenian genocide right now. Um, oh well, but I, I have know, some. I've, I've only done two this <laughs> week. So I can up? Make yeah. that my third. Yeah, yeah. I have some Armenian friends. I could see if they want to freelance. Um, uh, see if they can tie yeah. it into Cambodrosian or something like that. That is a perfect way to wrap this up. That is Monsters <laughs> of Sots podcast for week two. Make sure to follow us on everything uh, you can. Read everything uh, we publish. I certainly do, and we will talk to you next week. Dan, have a good one. Take care, dude.